0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us together uh, to your house to worship your holy name. I pray, uh, Lord, that you'd help us as we uh, end our series in the life of Hezekiah. You would teach us by your spirit what you would have us learn uh, and help us to apply these truths to our lives and, and live them out in a way that honors and glorifies your holy name. I thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. So last week we uh, ended how God had responded to Hezekiah's prayer and he had granted deliverance to King Hezekiah and the people of Judah from the Assyrian invasion. Uh, So this morning we will look at another historical narrative uh, involving Hezekiah's sickness and how God uh, heals him of his sickness. And we will also uh, examine how Hezekiah uh, has pride, not in Yahweh, but is in his own achievements and how God addresses that in his life. So uh, our passages, we'll be looking at certain passages. Uh, we will begin with uh, Isaiah chapter 38. Uh, we will start there, and, uh, and then we'll turn over to Second Kings chapter 20. I do have an outline I've provided. Uh, we will follow that. Uh, there are uh, six main points in this outline, the first being uh, Hezekiah's sickness, uh, Hezekiah's prayer uh, in response to the sickness and how God answers that prayer. And uh, after God heals him of his sickness, Hezekiah uh, pens a song of praise, and we will examine that. And in uh, Second, uh, rather Isaiah chapter 39, we see how Hezekiah uh, gets puffed up with pride, and uh, and we will examine that and how God uh, humbles him and brings him to repentance. And we will end with application, how we are to apply these truths to our lives this very day. So let's uh, begin in Isaiah chapter 38, uh, starting in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. We will stop right there for now. Um, Now, the words, in those days, refer back to the events that had transpired or that had been ongoing, namely the Syrian invasion. Uh, Richard Pratt is one of the commentators that I, uh, that I examined or studied uh, his work. He says, this temporal reference that is in those days indicates that Hezekiah's sickness occurred during Sennacherib's invasion as, as what was reported in the previous chapter. Uh, so the healing of the king took place while Hezekiah was under the Assyrian threat before uh, God delivers uh, the city from, uh, from being uh, conquered by the Assyrians. So let's look at the nature of the sickness that Hezekiah uh, is afflicted with. Now, the language indicates that it has been an ongoing sickness. It's not something that came on overnight or over a short period of time, but rather that Hezekiah had been sick for a few days and had been seriously sick. And it got to the point that it became, becomes terminal, as uh, Isaiah would, would say uh, on behalf of Jehovah. Uh, the narrative tells us that he was at the point of death. Uh, and in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 7, we're told that uh, the sickness was a boil. It's, it states that it was a boil. Recall uh, back in Exodus when God had brought the plagues in judgment on the land of Egypt. Uh, the sixth plague was boils. So Hezekiah's illness may likely have been a judgment from God... Uh, for his infidelity in preparation for war against the Syrians, uh, as this is how one commentator saw this this sickness. Uh, The messenger who brings this message is Isaiah, uh, none other than the prophet Isaiah, who has been uh, uh, God's messenger to the royal court. And uh, And Isaiah states this message from God rather succinctly and objectively. He says, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. In prefacing his message with thus says the Lord, Isaiah is declaring that his message is divine and uh, that it is prophetic in nature. And when Isaiah said uh, to Hezekiah to set his house in order, he wasn't particularly referring to setting his personal household in the, in order. He was the king. He was the ruler of the entire nation of Judah. So the directive is to set the state of the affairs, the state of the kingdom in order, and to speedily appoint a successor who would... Uh, uh, take over the kingdom upon his demise. Um, And notice the double statement. He says, for you shall die, you shall not recover. So you shall not recover is basically another way of saying you're going to die. So there's a double statement indicating the absolute certainty of death. uh, For King Hezekiah, he has no escape uh, from his imminent death. Let's pause for a couple of minutes to, to kind of uh, think about Isaiah's mindset. He, is, he has been the prophet in, uh, in the nation of Judah for several years by now. He had seen several kings, a few kings come and go. Uh, at the onset of his ministry, King Uzziah, uh, king Uzziah a righteous king, had, uh, had died and he had been reigning had reigned for 52 years and after that kings uh, Ahaz and Jotham had died as well they were uh, both wicked kings and well Jotham actually was uh, was more of a godly king so uh, uh, Isaiah has have seen kings come and go but the king of heaven the high king of heaven who had given uh, uh, Isaiah, his heavenly vision upon, uh, at the time of his com- commission, uh, knows that uh, sovereign God is king alone. He is constant in a, a state where human rulers, human kings come and go. And it must have been shocking to uh, Isaiah as he had uh, contemplated bringing this message to King Hezekiah he must have been uh, close to King Hezekiah, having uh, uh, ministered to him and having advised him for a number of years. But yet, uh, uh, I believe that Hezek- uh, Isaiah rather found comfort in God's sovereignty in the affairs in His uh, uh, ordaining and providential uh, ruling over the affairs of human, rule- uh, human rulers. So how does Hezekiah, let's look at our second point, how does Hezekiah respond to uh, this news that his illness is terminal and that he will not recover from this sickness? We read that in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 38. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now, turning his face to the wall could indicate a couple of things. He may have been so emotionally distraught that um, he did not want others in his presence to see him weep, to to see the anguish and the distress that he was in. Uh, One commentator put it that he may have turned his face to the wall in the direction of the temple because he is readying himself to pray to the Lord and this wasn't uncommon in, uh, during the reign of King Jeho- Jehoshaphat, when uh, uh, the kingdom of Judah was threatened by, by enemies. King Jehoshaphat prayed, we will stand before your temple as your king and as your people, and cry out to your holy name for deliverance. That's in Second Chronicles 20 verse 9. And also uh, Daniel, who come on the scene several centuries later, uh, when he prayed to the Lord, he always uh, uh, positioned himself or turned towards uh, the direction of Jerusalem, where the temple was, where God had set himself uh, to dwell among his people to be worshiped there. And it's remarkable that Hezekiah prayed. Uh, it, it would be only human for him to have gotten angry, embittered, and, and hardened his heart towards God. But we see here that uh, God has been at work in him, and this is the state of his heart. He remains faithful to God and is driven to the Lord in prayer in the hour of his death, in the hour of his greatest uh, affliction. So we see that affliction can do one of two things. It can either drive you to God, as in the case of Hezekiah, or it'll drive you away from the Lord. The chronicle records, uh, referring to King Hezekiah, uh, referring rather to King Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, that in the time of his distress he became yet more faithless to the Lord. Hezekiah did not do that. What his dad had done, his father had done. He turned to the Lord and he cries out to him in the time of his distress. So let's see how, uh, what Hezekiah prays. How does he pray to the Lord? Starting in verse 3. Prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah addresses Yahweh as Adonai, calling him Master or Lord. And he prays this. So at first glance, it seems that Hezekiah is uh, being selfish, is being self-centered. He comes across, he seems to come across as telling God that he owes him for his righteousness. One commentator says that this prayer is, quote, characterized by its self-centeredness and not its faith, end quote. So if this was indeed the case for, of Hezekiah's prayer, that would have been a sinful prayer. And as we will sh- see shortly, God honors that prayer. And God would not have honored a prayer that was sinful and that w- did not give him glory. Perhaps Hezekiah's prayer, instead of being self-centered, was indeed honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Robert Godfrey, Dr. Godfrey, had written an article entitled Hezekiah Reasons with the Lord with God in Prayer. In this article, he says that Hezekiah is facing a far deeper problem than his physical illness and his imminent death. Hezekiah is worried that his illness, rather Hezekiah is worried as to what his illness had to say about God regarding his faithfulness and his reliability uh, when it came to his covenant promises to his people. And as we have seen along, all along in our, in our past few lessons, Hezekiah knew the law of God, and he was in, intimately acquainted with its commandments and promises. And one such promise of God is found in Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, we will be looking at uh, verse 40. Deuteronomy 4.40 Therefore you shall keep his statues and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So here Yahweh promises uh, his people who are obedient to him, who keep his commandments and who observe his, sta- his statutes faithfully, that he will give them length of days uh, for doing so. And Hezekiah had done so, Al- albeit un- imperfectly, he- He nonetheless had been obedient and faithful to the law of God, to his Elohim, for most of his life. And also, the other issue is not only um, the reliability, the question of uh, God's reliability and faithfulness to his covenant promises to his children. uh, Hezekiah had another problem. Uh, At this point in his life, he had not sired a son or a heir. Uh, who would uh, inherit his kingdom, who would be in the lineage of David, fulfilling the Davidic uh, covenant, that God had promised that his servant David would not lack a ruler on his throne. And if Hezekiah had perished, had succumbed to this illness, then the Davidic kingdom would have come to an end. And uh, God's promise of this covenant would have been nullified. The third thing is, If Hezekiah had had perished, what would the pagan kings, especially King Sennacherib, have thought of the sovereign God, that His sovereign God, that this sovereign God had been unable to sustain and save the life of His anointed king, Hezekiah? So Hezekiah is bringing a suit on the basis of God's covenant promises, and. And he is basically defending himself before God the judge, saying that these very covenant promises you have promised me. And on these covenant promises, I am making a case that you heal me of my illness and preserve my life. That brings us to our third point, which is uh, God's answer. How does God respond to Hezekiah's prayer? And we uh, uh, we will look at that in Second Kings chapter twenty. So from Isaiah, we will turn to Second Kings chapter twenty, starting in uh, verse four. Sorry, I lost my place here. Where am I here? Okay. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. So the answer comes quickly from the Lord. Isaiah had left likely the king's bedchamber because he likely had been bedridden from his illness, recovering. And by the time uh, Isaiah the prophet leaves, before he even leaves the middle court, God gives him a word. And Isaiah turns around and goes back to uh, Hezekiah's uh, 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 bedchamber. And in, uh, notice what uh, Yahweh says here. He says, um, Thus turn back and say to Hezekiah in verse 5, The leader of my people. Yahweh addresses to himself to Hezekiah as being his Adonai, his master. And then he recognizes Hezekiah as the anointed king, and the anointed one over his covenant people. And then he, he says, Thus says the Lord Adonai, the God, Elohim of David your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. Here Elohim remembers the covenant that he had made with David, Hezekiah's forefather. He knows that Hezekiah is of the lineage of David and that and God had ordained it to be so. It was in God's providence that Hezekiah was uh, uh, a descendant of David. And here Yahweh remains faithful to his covenant even though Hezekiah had been faithless in certain ways. And here we also see God's tender heart. We see the heart of a father God gushing over uh, the, uh, uh, the cry, the cries of his anointed child. He says, I have heard your prayer. Now the words, I have heard your prayer, as I did some research or de- uh, did some uh, studying on this, there was only one other instance where, uh, in scripture where, ha- I, where I found these words specifically used in such a manner and that was when Solomon uh, prayed to God at the dedication of the temple and he had asked God to honor him and to honor the people of Judah by dwelling in the temple and making his uh, making himself uh, to be worshiped in the temple and God honors that prayer and also uh, Uh, God says, I have seen your tears. You see, our sovereign God, he is never too busy to notice the affliction of his his children. The psalmist says, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? For you have delivered my soul from death, my my eyes from tears. And these are from Psalms 56 and Psalm 116. (laughs) So, such is the tenderness of our Heavenly Father. He sees your tears, he keeps count of them in a bottle. And on, that, uh, and on that glorious day, when he will make all things new, he will wipe every tear from your eyes. One other thing is that Hezekiah uh, is a picture or a type of Christ in his cries and tears that he had shed in his afflictions. If you'd turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7, we'll look at that. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So when we cry and shed tears in the midst of our various trials, Christ can truly empathize with us, having done so himself in his humanity. He shed those tears and he cried those cries cries in his flesh so that one day you and I will no longer do so. God goes on to say, again, uh, we're going back to 2 Kings chapter 20. God goes on to say in uh, chapter 20 verse 5, Behold, I will heal you. And God promises that Hezekiah will experience full and complete recovery from his illness. And he goes on, on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to to your life. So the 15 years that God adds to Hezekiah's life, the second lease that God provides to Hezekiah's life, scholars believe that during this time period is when Hezekiah sires a son and calls him Manasseh. Who would come on the, on the throne and rule for 55 years. Hezekiah promises, uh, uh, God, sorry, promises Hezekiah not only healing and recovery and allows him to sire a son during the uh, second lease uh, of uh, life. He also promises that he will deliver him and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. <laughs> so there's another case to be made here that what God says about it, uh, delivering Hezekiah and the people from the Assyrians and defending the city of Jerusalem, that Hezekiah's illness indeed occurred during the time of the Syrian invasion or at least leading up to the Syrian invasion. So uh, Yahweh not only extends the life of the king, but he also extends the life of the kingdom. He extends the life of the covenant community, the nation of Judah. And he does so for his own glory because of his faithful, faithfulness to his covenant with David, that his kingdom will be established forever. And this is a shadow of what God will ultimately accomplish spiritually through his greater son of David, Christ Jesus our Lord in his atonement for our sins. And a cake of fig, uh, Isaiah instructs Hezekiah to have his physicians apply a cake of figs um, to uh, to the boil to help with the healing. Now, God is sovereign, but God uh, uh, uses human means to bring about healing. And in this case, uh, uh, sovereign God allows uh, uh, Hezekiah's physicians to intervene and use this cake of, fi- cake of figs to bring about to aid in the healing and recovery of Hezekiah. Let's continue uh, and look at uh, verse verse 8. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that, shall I, that, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? So here, uh, uh, Hezekiah asked for a sign of the Lord for his healing. And he's not alone in this. Uh, Previous uh, uh, biblical characters had done so as well. Uh, God had given uh, Moses a couple of signs, two signs, uh, uh, confirming to him that he is Yahweh and he is commissioning him to go as his messenger of deliverance, uh, to Pharaoh and to the people of Israel, uh, God gave uh, M- M- Gideon a sign of the fleece uh, about c- confirming his, uh, uh, his ordination of, of Gideon as being the judge and the one who will bring about deliverance for, for the people of Israel from their oppressors. Here again, uh, God gives Heze- uh, Hezekiah asks God of a sign for his healing, and God honors that, as we will will see uh, shortly. Now, God had, if you recall, in Isaiah chapter 7, God had offered his his father Ahaz a sign, but Ahaz, in his unbelief, refused to ask God of a sign. But God, nonetheless, gives one of the greatest signs to King Ahaz, uh, when Ahaz was surrounded and threatened by his enemies, uh, that God indeed would deliver them. And God gives the sign of a, a virgin bearing a sign, a son, a sign of, the sign of Emmanuel bringing about deliverance from the greatest of enemies. Now, while his father Ahaz refuses God uh, of a sign because of his unbelief, Hezekiah, by faith in Yahweh, asked, boldly asks God to give him a sign to confirm his healing. And the sign that, that God gives to Hezekiah, he says, And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, and that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or go back ten steps? And, and, and Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back, t- go back ten steps, And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Now it is believed that this uh, sign involves a staircase that that his father Ahaz had constructed, and it was a rudimentary way of Of keeping track of time, of uh, ascertaining what time of the day it was, so it was on this uh, this architectural uh, design or architect piece of architecture that the Lord grants this sign to Ah to Ezekiah in moving this uh, uh, taking back the shadow ten steps. So point number four, we see how does uh, Hezekiah respond to God in, uh, after being healed and after uh, recovering from this illness. We're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 38. I'm going to be work, uh, looking at uh, starting in verse 9. How does uh, Hezekiah respond? verse 9, a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. Now this is what Hezekiah pens here in the following verses is considered a mictum. And uh, there are other mictims in the Psalms. Psalms 16 and Psalms 56 to 60 are mictims that have been attributed to King David. And a miktum is a poem or a song. And some have translated uh, the word miktum to be gold, to, to be golden, as in meaning precious. And the root of the word means to stamp or to engrave. Hence, miktum is regarded as a composition that is so precious to be, uh, uh, as to be worthy to be engraven or to be preserved permanently on a tablet. Let's look at the mictum itself, starting in verses 10 and 11. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. So verses 10 and 11 are the, two, uh, are the first two verses of this mictum. Here Hezekiah recalls a period of time when he had been oppressed by this illness. He had uh, been fearful of death and he had not yet gotten news from the Lord, promise of healing from the Lord as of yet. And he says, of, he says to himself, I am middle-aged, I am in my prime and yet I am to go to death while I'm still at a young age. And in verse 11, We see uh, Hezekiah saying that it is only in life that I'm able to relate to God and to relate to to my fellow man. E.J. Young comments, but in particular Hezekiah may have reference to worshiping God in the temple and he can only do so when he is alive, not when he is dead. When shall I come and appear before God? To see God is to rejoice in him, in his works, and as one approaches him in worship. If he would be deprived of fellowship with God on earth, so also would he lose the companionship of men, end quote. In verse 12, Hezekiah goes on to say, my dwelling is plucked up and removed from me. Like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. Uh, he cuts me off from the loom, and day to night you bring me to an end. Here Hezekiah likens his life as being sh- cut short suddenly, as suddenly as a shepherd removes his tent and herds the sheep to greener pastures or as a weaver cuts off uh, uh, the loom and rolls it up after he's done weaving. Even as you and I reflect on the, the fleetingness of our lives, of our days, as Hezekiah has done, We can take comfort in scriptural promises. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul tells us, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Let's look at verse 14. Hezekiah says, Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my fledge of safety. (laughs) Here, Ezekiah is likening himself to to these birds uh, in his fear and his anguish. And yet, in his fear and his anguish, he continues to look to his Adonai for deliverance. Verse 15, What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Hezekiah is acknowledging the sovereignty of God over these circumstances in his life, and he surrenders himself into God's sovereign care. In verse 17, let's skip on over to verse 17, he says. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love ye have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for ye have cast all my sins behind your back. Here the king comes to terms, uh, uh, he comes to terms with and embraces his sickness as being providentially ordained by God for his good and for his welfare. And there is selfific language that is being used here. Deliverance from the pit of destruction. The greater son of David, Christ Jesus, delivers us from the greatest pit of destruction, eternal death and hell. And the, la- uh, and the second thing that he says, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. The language conveys for us the idea of God taking, taking our sins literally upon his back, on his, uh, bearing our sins on his very back. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6 says, this is the messianic passage, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And as Isaiah 53, these verses, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and with his wounds we are healed. Looking at verses 18 and 19, for Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you, as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Hezekiah understands and reminds himself and his audience, those who would sing his song, and those of us this very day that God has granted him life and has granted us life to praise and to thank him and to teach his faithfulness to the next generation. Hezekiah ends his song of praise saying, the Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Hezekiah finally finds assurance that his Adonai Will indeed extend his life, and that he will worship him among God's people in his holy holy temple as long as he lives. Let's that brings us to our fifth point, which is Hezekiah's pride, and and soon after his uh, after his recovery, at some point after his recovery and healing from his illness, uh, the king of Babylon in. Uh, Isaiah chapter 39, verse 1, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, sends envoys to uh, King Hezekiah, and Hezekiah welcomes them uh, to his kingdom. Now, the Babylonian uh, envoy may have some political motives. They may be vying for an anti assyrian alliance with the nation of Judah, or they may just have been Uh, scoping out the kingdom to ascertain you know the power and wealth of the nation of Judah or it could have been both and likely King Hezekiah may have the same thing in mind a political alliance and also he's wanting to uh, to ascertain how strong of a an ally or an opponent uh, this Babylonian, Babylonian Empire might be. So in this narrative we won't have the time to read it uh, but I'll surmise it for us. Hezekiah shows off the treasures of the kingdom to these Babylonians. And in doing so, Hezekiah takes pride in himself and his possessions rather than, rather than in the Lord his God who had steward, stewarded him with his kingdom and with all these treasures and possessions. And we read that Isaiah uh, is sent again to, as God's spokesman to King Hezekiah and renders God's judgment on Hezekiah's offspring for his pride. The judgment being that the nation of Judah will ultimately be conquered by these very same Babylonians with whom he, he has welcomed and opened his kingdom. Um, but even in judgment, God shows mercy and stays his hand of judgment on Hezekiah. Hezekiah himself will not experience this conquest, but rather the conquest will occur a hundred years after the end of his reign. His offspring will nonetheless experience this judgment from God. The chronicler says this of Hezekiah after his pride and the pronouncement of God's judgment. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. Both he and the inhabitants, inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. I have three points of application for us from uh, the, this historical narrative. The first point is the brevity of our lives. We ought to realize the brevity of our lives and strive to live wisely glorifying God in how we live it. Moses prayed In Psalm chapter 20 verse 19, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The second point of application is that we ought to uh, understand and embrace God's sovereignty, not only in the afflictions that he ordains in our lives, but the healing that he provides in those afflictions. Uh, Turn with me to Hosea chapter 6. We'll look at that quickly. Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 and 3. It's right before, after Daniel and before Amos. Hosea Hosea chapter 6. He says, Come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us. Verse 3, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going down, out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So God is sovereign in his afflictions that he ordains and is sovereign in the healing that he provides uh, for those afflictions in our lives. So we ought to turn to him and to cling to him as, as Isaiah had done so and setting that example for us. Last point of application is that we ought to prayerfully guard our hearts against the sin of pride. It is innate in us. That is part of our human nature. Uh, Proverbs warns us that pride goes before a fall. And we have the example of Christ given to us uh, by Apostle Paul in Philippians. He says, Have the mind of Christ when it comes to humility, who emptied himself of his heavenly glory, And took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we have a couple of minutes for any last thoughts or comments. Otherwise, we will uh, close in prayer. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we could study your word and examine the life of Hezekiah. Lord, grant us the mindset and a heart uh, to number our days and to look to you in our afflictions, knowing that you are sovereign over them and that you're sovereign over the healing that you provide when we look to you in prayer. And I pray that you would also guard our hearts from the sin of pride and we will. Look to Christ, your son, and emulate him in being humble and, and uh, being worshipful in, uh, in how we live our lives. Continue to prepare our, prepare our hearts as we worship you uh, in the next hour. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.